Hey friends. So the gospel reading today is Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went off to the district of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those parts came out and shouted, have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is demon possessed. She's in a bad way. Jesus, however, said nothing at all to her. His disciples came up. Please send her away, they asked. She's shouting after us. I was only sent, Jesus replied, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman, however, came and threw herself down at his feet. Master, she said, please help me. It isn't right, replied Jesus, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I know, master, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from their master's table. You've got a great faith, haven't you, my friend, replied Jesus. All right, let it be as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that moment. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Shannon. Well, we are in the habit of noticing certain things about the scriptures when we read them. So I want to throw it out to you before uh, I dive into some thoughts and some comments. What do you notice as you listen to that scripture or as you read that scripture? What are some things that stand out to you? What are some things that illuminate uh, for you, that shine brightly for you? What are some things that make you mad? These are all the questions we need to ask when we look at the scriptures. Great faith stands out, Katie. Jesus said, you have great faith to this woman. What else? The disciples wanted to send her away, so <laughs> their faith apparently wasn't as great. Uh, they're embarrassed. Yep. What else? You first, and then, then we'll go down to, was it Jeremiah? No, Scott. Okay. Oh, love it. A mother's love for her child. And if you're a mom here, like what wouldn't you do for your kids, right? Especially when they're suffering. Scott? Ooh, who's in and who's out? Only Jesus is named Sally. That'll preach. Jesus' mercy is for everyone. Love it. All right, Jesus says, now we're getting warmed up, Carrie says. She's the lawyer. She's noticing the details. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm only, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, why don't we just use that to dive right in? A Canaanite is someone who is definitely not of the house of Israel. Canaanite is a sworn enemy of Israel. If you read in the Hebrew scriptures, many times the Canaanites are uh, the ones that we read that the Israelites go to war against. Uh, the, the Canaanites, in, in terms of the tradition, cause all kinds of problems for the children of Israel. So, uh, a number of years ago, I was in Byerly's enjoying a $10 salad. <laughs> Judge not. And man, there was a very loud woman in that Byerly's lunch area. She was talking into her phone extremely loudly. I mean, way past the point of what is polite. 
And it wasn't just for a minute or two. It was for many minutes. And she was very upset, very angry. And all of us knew it. And we were kind of looking around at each other like, you know, you know, as if to say, what is she doing? And why is she doing it here at Byerly's, the home of the $10 salad? <laughs> this is not the place for these kinds of conversations. It was embarrassing, actually, for her. Like, I felt embarrassed for her. And then I felt mad at her because she was really not following the rules of the Byerly's lunchroom. <laughs> so in this story, we have a similar kind of reality where a woman comes in and the Greek word for shouting really means like making an obnoxious racket. And Jesus and his disciples have gotten away from, it says, that place. And the place that they had gotten away from, if you read just a little bit before, was a pretty heavy conflict with the religious leaders. And so most commentators that I read say that Jesus left the area where lots of his own people were, the Jewish people, in order to get a little rest and relaxation, a little time away from the conflict. And so uh, there they were, sitting there, and this Canaanite woman comes in, again, the archetypal enemy of the Jewish people, and she uh, shouts loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is possessed by a demon. And Jesus ignores her. And then the disciples beg Jesus to get her out of there because she is causing a scene. She's shouting us down, they say. And then Jesus says, doesn't say to whom Jesus says this, doesn't say that he says it to her or his disciples. Maybe he's saying it to himself. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, of whom this woman is definitely not. The woman persists in begging. And then Jesus says something that can't be argued away in terms of translation. He says it's not right to give to dogs what is meant for children. Now, many Jewish people would call non-Jewish people in those times dogs. It was Jewish people didn't like dogs. They thought they were unclean. So Jesus says this horrible thing that you can't, there's no way of translating it away. He actually says this very horrible thing about an entire group of people to whom this woman belongs. And then she says, excuse me, sir, but don't even dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table where the children eat. And then he says, Wow. Well done, my friend. You have great faith. Your daughter is healed this instant. So what is happening here? So a few ideas. You could say this story is about being persistent in what you ask Jesus for so that he'll answer you. You could say that that's what this story is about. 
if you keep going after it with Jesus, even if you're among the type of people that Jesus doesn't usually listen to, whoever those type of people are, I'm not sure who they are. But if you are persistent, then Jesus will answer you. But I think there's a lot more going on than that. And anyway, if that were the point, you have to be really, really persistent for Jesus to answer you. What kind of person does that make Jesus out to be? Did someone say jerk? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, actually. I mean, yuck. You have to be super, you have to just keep, how many times is persistent? Is three times persistent? Because that's kind of a biblical number. Or is it seven times? Or is it 70 times seven? Or is it 40 times? How many times is persistent enough? Or is it like, it doesn't matter how many times, it just matters if you really mean it in your heart. So if you really mean it in your heart, then Jesus will answer you. Well, how do you tell if you really mean it in your heart? So you could say this story is about Jesus knowing all along what he was going to do, but playing along for the crowd so that he could have a teaching moment. This has a lot more possibility for me than the one that I just explained. So Jesus might have been just saying the things that everybody thought as a way to reveal what it is that people were thinking but not saying. As if someone in Byerly's might have said like, hey, loud mouth. Like, oh my gosh. But everyone's thinking it. Jesus just said it, maybe to reveal what everyone was thinking. Even though it was a racist and sexist way of thinking. But this week, what I've been most compelled by at the stories, I've rattled it around in my mind, is the possibility that Jesus had an awakening in real time. And so he made a radical decision that would end up costing him dearly. See, up until this point, Jesus really did understand his calling to be to the house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which Canaanites and Gentiles definitely were not a part of. God's plan for salvation history, if you read the Hebrew scriptures, included Israel first, then all people after the Messiah came and died and was resurrected. Jesus even tells his disciples in Matthew 10, when he sends the 12 out, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, it couldn't be clearer. But when he was surrounded by these pagans in Tyre and Sidon, and one of them came to him, desiring even the scraps that fell from his table, is it possible that Jesus of Nazareth looked inside of himself and said, oh my goodness, the love of the Father extends even to these. Now here's an all-play question. How much food is there at the table of Jesus? <laughs> oh, a lot. Bread. 
wine, bread. In this, in this, in this, this comment, um, um, it isn't right to give food that's meant for the children to the dogs. What does that comment say about how much food there is? It's not enough. But we know that there's so much. In fact, every week we come to the table, to the Eucharist, to the great thanksgiving, to the broken body of Jesus, the blood poured out as a way of saying there is absolutely enough for all. So could it be that in this moment, Jesus understands his calling in a new way as he experiences a real person with real needs? So um, we're okay with Jesus growing in faith when he's a kid. Luke 2.52 this is after Jesus was in the temple, and uh, he was hanging out with the leaders of the religious groups, and they were having a conversation. His mom and dad were looking for him, and they couldn't find him. They'd already left, and they came back, and there was Jesus talking with the... And then we read in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. Another word for increase is grew. And he grew in divine and human favor. So if you think about Jesus as like a 12-year-old, any 12-year-olds in the room? Thank you, thank you. We're, we're totally fine saying like, okay, yeah. I mean, when they're 12, they grow in wisdom. I mean, they do. So here's my question. At what point in the human life of Jesus did he stop growing in wisdom? Ha <laughs> ha! 33 and a half. Yeah, like, was there a moment, fully God, but also fully human, when Jesus stopped having awakenings? Now, I, I realize, like, I'm stepping out on this ground right here. But think about it. If Jesus had knowledge of every single thing that he was going to say to every single person that he came across every single day. Like he woke up, got the download for the day. Hey, you're going to hit this Samaritan woman. She's going to be sitting at the well. By the way, she's had five husbands. Just so you know. Okay, five husbands. Okay, I'm going to write that down. I might, I might forget it. The download. Now Jesus knew certain things because the Spirit of God told him certain things. But I don't believe that he was walking around like a robot, faking human interaction, faking crying when his best friend Lazarus died, faking calling Simon Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Like he was waiting for that line to come. You know, like when he was three years old, he was like, man, when I get to be 32, I, I, I'm going to have an awesome line for a guy that's going to be like, you know, this is going to be so great. Get behind me, Satan. Yes, 30 years of waiting. But here's the deal that Jesus does know. If he embraces this Canaanite woman and heals her daughter, daughter 
word is going to get out, and his days will be numbered. And he, I think he knows that. It'll be exactly the thing that will drive the nail in the coffin for Jesus among religious leaders, and Jesus knows it. Because once it gets out that he's speaking for God, but including Gentile people, it is game over for him. But still, he says, you've got great faith, haven't you, my friend? All right, let it be as you wish. So let's play the tape forward after this moment. It's no longer just the house of Israel that Jesus is healing and talking to. The very next passage, if you read it in Matthew 15, is about Jesus being surrounded by a large crowd of lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many other Gentile people. So they're all crowding in. You've healed this one person, now heal us. And it results in the feeding of the 4,000. Feeding of the 5,000 is mostly Jewish people. Feeding of the 4,000, which happens later, is mostly non-Jewish people. Then the very next passage in Matthew 16 is about Pharisees and Sadducees coming up to Jesus to catch him out by showing them a sign from heaven. So they're saying, okay, your days are numbered. And then next week, we'll look at the very next passage where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Because now it's really the question that's, that people are starting to debate. Because he's talking to people who aren't Jewish now. So who is he? Is he the son of David or not? And then Jesus asks the question that's been rattling down history all the way to us on this day. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What kind of a Messiah do you say that I am? So some questions about this passage. As you imagine it in your mind, sometimes we're the needy ones shouting at Jesus to give us the scraps. And some of us can really relate to that woman saying, Jesus, son of David, Lord, have mercy on me because I have something in my life that I I cannot manage on my own and I need help. And maybe what has kept you from Jesus is like what Adam said, that I have felt up until this moment that I am not good enough to even approach Jesus. And maybe what you need to hear from this story is that there is no person that Jesus won't extend a scrap to. And even the scraps of Jesus are enough to fill you up. Amen? Even the scraps. And what does that say? Like, I think, just as a parenthetical note, the church has offered scraps to certain people groups. And what does it mean to say, come take a seat at the table. Enough scraps for you. Sometimes when we imagine this story happening, we're the disciples. And we're so focused on our work for God that we're unable to see someone that really is in need. 
because we've always understood them as a category and not a person. And so, in essence, we're the Steve Ween sitting in a Byerly's saying, shut up. This is not for you. Now, I think we think of ourselves as above that. We have a magnanimous view of the gospel. It's for everybody. We would say that. And yet, I think if we're really listening to Jesus' words in this story, there's a confrontation. What are the, what are the, what are the categories of people that in our deepest heart, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we think it's not for you? You don't get it? And if, if that's you and it's me, it's worth a little time in this passage to say who are the people that I have written off that Jesus has not written off. Amen? That's a confrontation. Sometimes when we imagine this passage happening, we smell the dust and the food and the we see the eyes of the woman. We see the eyes of Jesus. Sometimes we're Jesus in this passage. And we have an awakening that takes us beyond what we used to believe. We have a moment where we realize that I have believed this for this long, and now because of this interaction, I have to believe that there's more. I have to believe that God's love is more expansive than I did before because of my faith in Jesus. I'm being led to new awakenings. And if that's you, then you just need to know that Jesus is with you and that probably you will be confronted by other people. And that's okay. But you do need to know that. That that's like you're not going to be given a party for expanding your view. You will get, by some people, reviled. By some people, accused. So this is my word to you, if that's you. Make your prayer be, Jesus, let me love you more. Let me know you more. And let me follow the where you go. That's your prayer. You're going to be right sometimes, and you're going to be wrong sometimes, <laughs> theologically. Can we all just admit that? You're going to be right sometimes, and thank God for God's mercy when you're right. <laughs> and you're going to be really wrong sometimes. But if your prayer is Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. And I want to follow where you're going. Then I believe you're going to go in the right direction. And that's what the people that are getting baptized today are saying. Not that they're going to be right theologically on every single point. That is so not the point. I hope you're right more than you're wrong. The point is to read a story like this and to go, who is this Jesus? 
And how is he helping me grow? It's interesting as you read the rest of the New Testament, these disciples that were probably there in this moment, and as older men, what they have come to realize. 1 John 3, 18 through 20. Little children, John writes, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, the truth and action, will we know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and God knows everything. That's what John writes. God is greater than our hearts. Like even when I say, get this woman out of here. God knows our hearts. And when, when we later on that day go, oh my goodness, how, how was it that I could have said something that awful? God is greater than our hearts. God knows everything. Peter, 2 Peter 3.18, has this admonishment. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of, of eternity. So his admonition is to grow, have new awakenings about who this Jesus is. You're never going to graduate into the PhD level of Jesus followership. You will always be a student. Amen? James, crusty James, says this in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I wonder sometimes if he was thinking about this interaction. Take care of women whose daughters are demon-possessed. I didn't one day, and it was wrong. So will you keep growing? Will you look for new awakenings? And will you allow Jesus to expand your picture of Jesus and of God? Those are the questions coming out of today's teaching. So deep breath in. Let it out. We're going to take 60 seconds of silence like we always do as a way to open our hearts up for the Lord to teach us, and then I will lead us through the silence and prayers of response on page three. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us now.